0: And when those cousins were sent over, they were not given permission to read or write. And so for me, it is an act of rebellion almost to be able to write and to be able to read and to be able to have all the education.
1: Welcome to The Thought Card, a podcast about travel and money, where planning, saving and creativity leads to affording travel, building wealth and paying off debt. We are the Financially Savvy Travelers. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Today, we have two very, very special guests. They're both my internet buddies. I've actually met Michelle in real life as well and hope to meet G soon, but uh, we have a lot in common. We are all podcasters. We are all also authors and we're all have a liking and an interest in the personal finance space as well. So I really wanted to bring us all together to talk primarily about what it's like writing right now during the pandemic. Because it does, it's a little bit challenging, like there's good things, there's bad things, there's good days and bad days, but having this honest conversation I think will be helpful for those who are thinking about writing books or those who are writing books right now. So why don't we go around the room and introduce ourselves and what types of books you write. So let's start with G.
0: Hey Danielle. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate you. I have many things and wear many hats, but I can help you um, launch a freelance writing business where you get paid anywhere between a hundred and $500 to write articles. And you can do that multiple times over and over and actually make that a living. Um, and I also coach women on how to take a book idea from blank page to complete book, as well as with a marketing plan. And I absolutely have a passion for these things. I have a passion for writing.
2: I run uh, several projects uh, like you all. I wear several different hats. Uh, for the purpose of this conversation, I run a personal finance um, website and podcast called Michelle is money hungry, where my goal is to really help people have empathetic conversations about money, but also to monetize what you already know, monetize and sell what you already know and leverage the internet to do that. And eBooks in particular, um, and written content similar to what G does is, um, where I'm focused. And I started, um, my interest with eBooks was uh, kind of fostered because I hated low paying freelance work. And because I was able to leverage the book sales to a certain uh, amount where I was getting really nice income coming in, I stopped freelancing and then was able to go back in almost uh, eight months later, and only pick great clients because I had money coming in from these different revenue streams. So um, I love leveraging writing as a skill. And um, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk about all the things. Yes, well,
1: I am super excited. G, I think we're gonna get started with you. What inspired you to write a book during the pandemic?
0: this is a book I had been wanting to write for a really long time, right? And I think that authors and the authors I coach most of the time when they come to me, it's not because they don't have the ability to write the book. It's not because they don't have the ideas, but because maybe they're in their own heads about it, right? Or um, they've been using everything else as an excuse as to why they, they won't write the book. And so when the pandemic hit and we could go nowhere, literally go nowhere, I was like, life first of all life is really short and then on top of that like all your excuses to do stuff right now just went out the window so why don't you just sit down and write so I had I had this book that I was already writing so it's like this is a good time to finish it I gave myself a month to finish the book completely um and then another month to edit and then um and you know, get the book cover and all that together. And within two months, my book, you know, I was able to launch the book. So I had been writing it for a while, but I think when the pandemic happened, a lot of my excuses flew out the window. And also I think that it made a lot of us have rethought a lot of things since this pandemic happened, right? I think there's not a single person on the planet right now that, um, um, that have not that hasn't rethought everything. So my book um, is Win at Freelance Writing. It's on Amazon right now, and you know I, I talk about writing, and I get questions. Well, what's freelance writing? How can I get started? And so I put all of that into a volume so that people could go purchase that on Amazon. That's why I I, I finished writing the book. I had the book idea. I never really sat down to finish and. The pandemic really got a lot of us thinking, right? So, um, and one of those things was get your book out, girl. So, (laughs) so that was, that was why I, I, I wrote it in the middle of a pandemic.
1: Very, very inspiring. Now, Michelle, I know that your story is a little bit different because you had quite a few books already in the queue that you were going to release and the pandemic hit. So what do you think is, has been the hardest part of writing all these books that you already had planned uh, during this time?
2: Well, it's interesting because I actually was working a very specific strategy. Um, I had already released a few books in January and February, and I'm going to tell you the names of those just to give you context about how things went really left. So for my romance fiction, um, I decided to write a series of books that take place at an event. That event was the Olympics. The Olympics, the freaking Olympics, the first year since, first time since World War II that the freaking Olympics are canceled. I have these books that I was working a specific strategy with and I was just like, ah, I want to say a bad word, but I'm not going to. Okay. However, for my nonfiction books, I had two other ones that I wrote. And um, again, this is January, February. And the sec, the first one I'm going to share, I actually had recorded additional um, interviews to be embedded into that book to su- supplement the book. And that um, that book, I need to look at the name of it, uh, is how to host your first in-person event without going broke or losing your mind. Now, would we want to be hosting in-person events during a pandemic? That answer is no. So uh, <laughs> that sucked. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, I was like, ah, and then I've already attended in-person events. They've just changed. So now I have an opportunity to kind of tweak the content within the book to add to the book talking about what do these events look like during Corona. Uh, and then the last book that I wrote, because of course this is 2020, was uh, Time to Visit Denver. Yeah, we don't want you here. We don't want you here unless you're going to wear a mask. So um, those were the books that I wrote. So I had this very specific strategy, did all this stuff and everything went left. And when coronavirus hit and the quarantine orders came down on my mother's birthday, mind you, <laughs> um, I was just like, I can't even focus. And then the other thing that was very interesting that happened was my business went crazy busy. So I ended up, I'm, I just got really busy with business. I, I I relaunched my course. Um, I did a lot of different things. And I was like, now is not the time for me to write creative works right now. I can't, I'm not in the space to do it. I normally get a lot of my ideas when I go hiking or I go ride my bike or I go walk. And um, when we were quarantined, I live in Denver. I could not go to the mountains, which were 40 miles away because we were asked to stay in place within 10 miles of our home. And there were people who broke that rule, but there were a lot of people who looked like us who were dying and I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it because if I got sick in a mountain town, they had limited resources and that wasn't right. So I, I found that a lot of how I tap into my creativity got, um, affected because I do a lot of physical activity and that activity triggers my creativity so one of the things I had to do was just let it go. So um, now um, we're recording today. I'm in the mountains and um, I'm back into the flow. So I'm up here to uh, literally begin working on my creative works again um, because I, I understand my pacing under, during COVID. I, I, my, my business, again, is still really busy. Um, I keep getting, I I don't say no to money, (laughs) so I keep getting some very um, lucrative freelance writing projects. That's not my primary revenue stream, but I'm not going to say no to a dollar a word projects uh, that are easy for me to do, quite honestly. So um, now that I'm used to the pacing, I'm able to get back into the flow of writing, and I'm really excited about it because Um, I've literally done nothing with my back stock of books. Um, and, uh, it's taken seven months for me to kind of dwindle to a certain amount of money where I'm like, that's not enough. So, so now I'm back into it and I'm very excited. And I've even launched a podcast specific to my, my fiction pin name, um, but I also leverage my nonfiction books on my other shows. So we were talking about podcasting. I leverage my books very deliberately and very deliberate ways. And I think that's something also to, to kind of consider if you're thinking about, well, you know, I'm going to write this book and get it out there. Well, how do I, how do I market it now?
1: Yes. Well, you mentioned so many interesting things. And one of the things is about flow, like being in rhythm and being in flow is so important. Also, knowing when it's not a good time to write, like it's not a good time and not necessarily forcing it because the product may or may not be what you intended to be at the end. So I I really appreciate that. And I really, really love that. Now, G, I know for your newest book, When at Freelance Writing, why did you choose the self-publishing route?
0: If you've ever tried to traditionally publish a book, you have to get an agent. You have to get a publishing house. Then they have to, you know, decide whether they want your book or not. And then they take, you know, they may give you advance. and And ultimately, traditional publishing, I think it, it has its place, to be honest. But it's not. I I think it's not always the best for a new a newer author. For me, what I find so
2: appealing about self-publishing is it democratizes the ability to share what you want to share. Um, There's no gatekeeper, and one of the things with gatekeepers, and a gatekeeper would be a person who who stands between you and the person who makes the final final decision. Um, And in a publishing house, that could mean that a secretary could keep you From getting in front of the person, the editor, the person who would look at your work and be like, yes, I want to say yes to this. So you could have like some, some person who has some preconceived notion just about you as a human, and they could roadblock your ability to get in front of the person who says yes. With self-publishing, what I like is the person you need to get in front of is a reader. I I don't want, I don't, I'm going to be blunt. I don't want some old white dude telling me that my paranormal fiction book is not going to be palatable to people when I'm a blurred, you know, black nerd, and I'm all about Lovecraft country. Like I am fascinated by how they got that show on TV because five years ago, there's no way it would have been on TV. No way would Lovecraft country with the content that that show is would be on TV five years ago because there's so many people you have to work through self-publishing democratizes our ability to do what we want to do without having to have someone say yes or no to it and sign off.
0: And you know, I think that sometimes there is a place for people telling you, well, maybe this type of content may not work for the kind of audience you're going after. It's fine. Like if people have that opinion, that's them. But the thing is that what if there is though,
1: Yes. And I love that. And to be honest, being able to write, publish in two, three months is not going to be possible if you're doing it with
2: a traditional publisher.
1: So Michelle, can you talk about during the pandemic, how are you thinking about writing your books and also your editing process as well?
2: So for me, because I write so fast, um, I, I, I'm i thinking about what my strategy is. I'm looking at the time of year uh, for the type of books. So for my nonfiction books, for example, um, I'm looking at the timing of the books. Like when when I publish them, is that the right time for them to be published? So the reason why I did Time to Visit Denver at the time that I released it was we were going into the summer. Or we were, or, or no, it was winter going into spring, summer. So I felt like there would be enough time for that to kind of uh, get some some SEO juice and that kind of thing. I think with creative fiction it's the same um so for example with romance you have Christmas romance and you have like you know uh Valentine's focused stuff and you've got similar to freelance writing or blog writing or any of that there are certain times of year that you would potentially release a certain type of book so part of what I look at is I have an idea When do I need to have that idea out there in terms of writing, like the actual act of writing for me? um, I like to have a certain amount done a week. Um, I do not do daily word goals. That does not work for me because um, it just doesn't. (laughs) Uh, So some people they're like, I need to do like a thousand words. I can easily do a thousand words a day because I'm a really fast writer. So instead I have an overall like, okay, I want to get, this novella, because um, mine t- typically are between 20 to, uh, 15,000 to 30,000 words, depends on the book. So if I know that my book is fifteen to 30,000 words, at this point, I know that takes me um, for like 22,000 words, 23 hours, maybe. So um, because I know how fast I am, I just give myself a tra- trajectory. As for um, editing, I self-edit. And I'm 100% fine with that. People buy my books. (laughs) However, I am considering in 2021 getting an editor um, because I feel like there are just some things that you miss when you self-edit. I wanted to share that I self-edit, though, because I have the belief that you start where you're at. So part of um, why I did that in the beginning a couple years ago was, um, as you guys know, because we're in the personal finance space, I've been paying off debt. And so when I initially started writing books, that money wasn't being reinvested into my business. That money was paying off bills. And so I had to start where I was at. And I I get very frustrated when people um, tell people that they are wrong to self edit or whatever, um, because that is not right for them. And I'm like, I want you to start where you're at. And that could be you're at zero. You have no extra money and do the best you can um, and learn from it. And then when you get to the point where you can pay other people to assist you with that, then do because it's always a good idea to have that second set of eyes, but I wouldn't have 12,000 extra dollars if I, if I hadn't self-published and self-edited. So I'm fine with it. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah. For me, that's my philosophy. I'm not going to poo-poo you for uh, self-editing. However, I've also been blogging and writing for years, um, and so I'm used to being very critical about my writing and looking at it in that way. Um, so if you're not used to that, be aware that your self-editing might not be that good. And I'm going to share something funny. My, I have a MacBook Pro. And what they didn't tell me was that sooner or later, the keyboard would break. So right now, my keyboard on my MacBook Pro has broken. And so when I was writing my last couple of books, that created problems in the, the content. So I had to do a lot more edits until I bought the Magic Keyboard. So I actually have to use this in order to type my, my, on my Mac. Before I got the Magic Keyboard, that affected my edits because I had a lot more mistakes because the, the keys weren't working. So um, be aware of the tools that you're using um, and how they, they get the words on paper. So if you're doing like um, dictation, that kind of thing, real, you're going to have to be very, very uh, careful about your edits because people will see those mistakes. And I read a lot of books. I read daily I read self-published books daily. Um, I enjoy them quite a bit. And I do see some of the mistakes. I don't sit there and write bad reviews because of it. So that's the other side too, is as a customer, I've purchased books. I've seen mistakes occasionally. As long as they're not like horrible across the board, people are fine.
1: And I love that. I think that's refreshing because there is this thing in the author world that you must hire an editor and spend, you know, how many hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars on an editor. So I really appreciate hearing that perspective.
0: I do do kind of daily word goals, but they're not rigid and strict. So I like to do about a thousand words um, per day. And just like Michelle, um, I've been writing for years now. I've had my own blog for um, seven years and or eight years now. I've I've written content for other clients, so I write pretty fast. So writing a thousand words usually is no problem for me. So usually I set that goal. There are days I'll go, I'll hit a, uh, I'll hit a thousand. Some days I'll go a little bit above that. Some days I'll write five hundred words. The point is to write every day, for me. And so I do that. And so usually I set those goals and. For my nonfiction books, so I write. I also write both fiction and nonfiction. Even oh. though I haven't, I haven't focused a lot on the fiction side of things. So, so don't ask me questions. <laughs> <I have laughs> questions. Michelle got excited. Michelle I got did. excited. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I do do some fiction too, but like they're all very emotional stuff anyway. Because I'm an emo person, and so. <laughs> And so, um, you know, so for, for my, for my nonfiction, usually I think about what would I want people to get out of this book? Like by the time they're done reading, what should they be able to do? So kind of like the before and after, like, what are they like before and after? What do they get? And so I, I like to think about that and then draft my chapters so that they, they reflect that so that it's like taking them on a journey. They start at point A, they end at point Z. And by the time they are done, they have a strategy because that's how my mind works and, and that's how I would like to teach my clients even within my coaching programs. So I like to go in a linear way that helps them build each chapter builds on each other, so I'll draft out the chapters first. Usually, I'll draft out the chapters first. Once I draft out the chapters, I know what's going to go in each of them. So then I just fill in the blanks, um, and that's where I do the you know the the daily word counts. Um, and then once I'm done with filling in the blanks with all the chapters, I'm done. And I don't try to fluff it up and make it fifty thousand words if it doesn't need to be fifty thousand words. I just get to the point and move on. And you know, I'm a, I'm a brief and direct person so I like to be brief and direct <laughs> so that's how I keep my books and then once I'm done I also do self-edit so I self-edit and then I also have people read through my books so um, I'll I'll read it myself then I'll give it to like my sister or my husband like folks around like hey read this and tell me what you think and usually a lot of them will read like two or three people at least will read um through the book and then tell me hey you made this mistake here you made this there and then i'll ask them their general impressions do they feel like they got value from it and usually they're able to give me that feedback right so once i have that feedback i know what to um to you know rewrite if something is confusing or what to correct if there were grammatical or spelling mistakes and then it's off to the book cover designer i get my book cover and then i start promoting the book Um, Before it even launches. So that's that's my book writing process.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you guys for sharing that perspective. I'm a little bit different. I actually have a practice where every morning I sit down and I write before work. So if I wake up at 7.30, I get to write until 9. If I wake up at 8.30, I'm kind of screwed for that day. So that is like the parameters that I create for myself. I also always have like a cup of coffee with me. So I pretty much have it part of like my daily routine, minus the weekends. So I try to just have Monday through Friday, have that before work. And I realized that because that's my, my most, like my mind is like most creative at the time when I wake up at the end of the day, I'm not going to get get my best work out. And of course, like you're writing this for, it's your business. So I want to make sure I put my myself first in all, everything that I do, at least for my writing. So that's a little bit about uh, my writing process. And I also have an editor. So I was one of the people who like, I never learned about commas. I actually have grammar do the review for me before I send it to the editors so that she spends mm-hmm. less time editing it. I think for me, hiring an editor has helped me improve my writing ability. It gave me structure. Like she was pretty much like guiding me and, and tutoring me while she was editing. So that has been really helpful. And having the same editor from book to book, she knows me now. Um, and I don't have to explain to her because she already, you know, she has my style down. So I'm a little bit different from you guys, but I loved hearing the strategy and how you guys get it done. Now, Michelle, have you thought about marketing for your books and if it the pandemic is changing your marketing strategies at all?
2: I think that it did in the sense of it depended on the content of the book. So Time to Visit Denver, clearly it was not Time to Visit Denver. So, but I had an overall strategy that is a long-term plan. And I think that that's where a lot of authors kind of get confused. Like it should always be a long-term strategy So that you're selling books over time. So Time to Visit Denver, that book should be relevant for years. It's an evergreen product. And so my strategy for marketing reflects that. Likewise, with my romance um, podcast that I have just launched literally this week. So the first episode dropped on Monday. um, The goal for that wasn't just to randomly launch a romance podcast. It is top of funnel to sell my books. And it is providing an opportunity for authors in that genre of, of writing, which is very underrepresented to share their books. My podcast is also uh, sponsored by my books, um, as well as my course that I sell. So none of what I do is not, it, like everything's very intentional. Um, and so it, when you're looking at your books, like if it's a nonfiction book, it's highly likely, hopefully, that it's evergreen in nature. If it's a business book, it should be evergreen, for sure. If it's a memoir, that's evergreen. That's your memoir. So when you're looking at, well, an evergreen means if you read it today, it should still be relevant two years from now when you read it, right? So that means when you're looking at marketing your book, you're working a long-term strategy, and so everything I do is a long-term strategy. So my new podcast for my romance project—it's brand new—but um, I've had almost a hundred thousand downloads on my other show. So I know what I know what I'm doing, and I know the impact that it has because I've had so many successes with Michelle's Money Hungry and. Uh, I've had two um, interviews for CNBC I, I should find out when the second one goes live soon and I've got a lot of I've gotten a lot of media because of that so I understand the impact and power of owning a platform and using it as part of my strategy and so I think authors would do themselves a huge favor in thinking about what can I own? And I'm not talking about a website. So like G G is a great person to check out because she has her blogs. She's on YouTube and she has this amazing um, content that she puts out there. And she's also getting people on her email list. So that's the other thing too, is on my romance podcast, my gift to people is a a free, a free romance. That's not, that's not like an accident. That is a strategy that I'm working because the bigger my list, the more books I sell. So maybe it takes a while to grow that project. But by this time next year, that's going to be very lucrative for me. So um, my expectation isn't that I'm going to have this huge success today. You know, it's that uh, what I do now is planting seeds for the next harvest. So it's irrelevant that there's COVID. Actually, it's just things happen. COVID happened and it sucked, but that just means in my evergreen content, I have to add a chapter about COVID, right? So time to visit Denver, I have to add content about you have to wear a mask, what to expect, how 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 we expect you to behave when you're here. In my romances, people are wanting inexpensive ways to entertain themselves, right? And so typically, actually, in economic downturns, red lipstick, I think, and romances, Shoots through the roof, so it's a huge opportunity. And so I, I, I think that that's the other thing too: is if you're afraid to sell whatever it is you're trying to sell as as a book, um, don't be afraid because what you have might really help people right now.
1: I love the quote, "Planting seeds for the next harvest." That is amazing, and I, and it really speaks to your strategy and your long term vision for how p- books play in your business. So I adore that. I adore that.
0: I loved, I also loved what Michelle said about having a long-term strategy because it's not about like the book becoming a one-hit wonder, right? It's about continuously selling this, um, you know, preferably passively, you know, so um, you really want to think about those long-term, um, those long-term uh, strategies. So one great one was what Michelle mentioned with the email marketing. Another great one is with the content marketing. So that's what Michelle is doing, right? She's, she's starting a romance. Um, based podcast specifically for the genre of her book. And it's going to attract those people that are interested in that topic. And ultimately it's a funnel to her books, right? So content marketing and email marketing are great. I highly recommend it. Another thing that I have found extremely useful is doing podcast tours. And I know Danielle is the queen of podcast touring. I'll, I'll be on other people's platforms, giving value to their audience, but also in a way, it is a way for me to get more visibility for my brand and my books. And so you you really want to think about how do I get on other people's platforms. And so it may start, for instance, as being a guest on people's podcasts. And sometimes people are worried because they're like, oh, but I'm not going to get on the big, you know, quote unquote, big podcasts. But what I find is that it's not how big the podcast is, it is how focused the podcast is and how engaged that audience is and when that audience is really highly engaged with the podcast host then they're going and and whatever your and you know whatever your topic is is also aligned with that Topic, then you're most likely going to attract some of that audience to you. So, also apart from creating your own platform and uh, you know email marketing, start into start you know collaborating with other creators and other people in your space. Don't try to keep. I I don't know why entrepreneurial types sometimes have this where they think people are going to steal their ideas,
2: but I've heard it more than once. G and I've actually heard unfortunately a lot of POC express this, that there's, there's this fear and I wish people would just let it go.
0: You know, I've been in a phase with communities and stuff like that. And they're like, somebody is stealing my idea. And I'm, first of all, I'm like, first of all, no idea is that original, okay? Unless it's a breakthrough, don't be afraid of, you know, oh, people are going to steal my ideas if I go. I literally had somebody tell me one day she wasn't going to blog because if she blogs, people are going to steal all her ideas. So I, 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 whether it's blogging or, or, or putting out whatever, putting out content, collaborating, please stop having the the limited mindset that people are going to steal your ideas. It's a, it's a toxic mindset. You need to lose it because you actually have way More to gain by putting stuff out there than to lose, right? And the people that um, are going to be your best clients and buy your books, they're going to buy them anyway. You know, so don't worry about it. I've gotten literally been on people's podcasts and after the podcast, their podcast listeners have gotten in touch with me and said, hey, I want to coach with you. If I didn't go on that podcast, guess what? I would have been out a few thousand dollars. So so rather think of it in the opposite that you will be attracting new people, fresh eyes to what you're doing. There are people that are going to fall absolutely in love with you. So, so get on other people's platforms. That's my biggest new thing is getting on other people's platforms. I'm also using Amazon on ads too recently and i'm beginning to see that payoff as well but i am passionate about content marketing and getting on other people's platforms too
2: yeah i want to say something to kind of piggyback on what g mentioned about the abundance mindset so all three of us do a, the, a variation of the same thing right but we cannot serve everybody I cannot, yes. I cannot serve everybody and and if i have this idea that i want to take all the business from everybody. One, i gonna be horrible at what I do. Two, I'm not going to be able to serve all my clients well. And it's just impossible. It makes no sense. And so there's more than enough people out there for all of us to serve. Um, and we're all very different people. So the way that I would approach something is different than what Danielle does, what she does. And I might be like, you know what, I think that Danielle's a better fit for you because the content that you're writing, like you don't have to grasp onto every lead and every, like you don't because more opportunities should always be flowing,
0: always be marketing. And the beautiful thing about what we all just talked about is that if you're doing these things consistently, right. It doesn't matter if somebody somebody steals your idea if they're actually even gonna steal it's actually much harder than people think anyway but if actually somebody actually steals your idea and then goes and launches a program, I mean you're still and a hundred people buy that program there's still more that there are more than a hundred people on this planet you know yes. who are interested in this topic and they will. They will find you and they will buy from you. But you obviously have to put yourself out there. So so having this crazy idea that writing a blog or posting on Instagram or being on somebody else's podcast is people stealing your ideas is limiting you.
1: I wanted to add that something that I did during the pandemic is I created a website for my author brand. So I actually had an old website, com, which was kind of like a hot mess. And I kind of let it stay stagnant. And during the pandemic, I really stepped into my desire and my ambition to really take my authorship seriously. So I rebranded that entire website. That was important to me. And secondly, there aren't enough, I don't see enough people of color or women of color who are like talking about writing as a craft. And I'm like, "Where are we? I want to learn from people who look like me. So creating this platform mm-hmm. is not only going to be serving for myself to you know market myself and my books, but also to be a platform for other folks as well. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: you know what uh, danielle i love I love that you brought us together today for this podcast, number one, and I love that you talked about the fact that. The, the Black author space is really underserved and the Black self-published author space mm-hmm. is really underserved. And, and that's why I, I moved into what I'm doing. And also this has like, this also has sentimental value for me because, you know, I'm originally from Ghana and West Africa, you know, and uh, we were colonized by the British. That's why I speak English. And I also know that um, more than 300 years ago, I had some of my cousins sent over to the Americas right to be slaves and and when those cousins were sent over they were not given permission to read or write and so for me it is an act of Rebellion, almost, to be able to write and to be able to read and to be able to have all the education. And I think that. And I am sorry if that's not appropriate for this podcast, but I no, think I got that
2: emotional
1: here. That's how that. that's powerful, powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: you know. Yeah. So it, it we have to write. And and another thing is that being from West Africa, where whenever I watch television, the stories that are told are those of poverty and desolation, and everything is is like the Africa is this place. Where just bad things happen, and mm-hmm. oh, thank God you you weren't born in Africa because then you wouldn't have any food to eat. That is the narrative of Africa, right? And 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 I and one of the things that I'm passionate about is is African women and men writing our own stories to tell the stories from our perspective because our stories have been told by others for way too long mm-hmm. from that perspective, and they can tell it however they want, right? But we can also tell it from our perspective and our experiences and that can enrich and educate and enlighten the younger generations that hey maybe being born on this content is not such a bad thing after all there's so much we have to still gain from this you know so so for me you know you know I, i if you know me personally then you know i'm a very straight and narrow kind of person i follow the rules i'm very much like that but when i i realized that You know, both Africans and African-Americans and indigenous peoples as well were denied the opportunity to be educated and to write and to read for a very long time. Me being able to empower others to write their books Mm -hmm. is an act of rebellion against that.
2: Gee, I I literally I I wanted to cry a little bit like I felt so emotional Mm -hmm. hearing that. And this is why I was talking about the gatekeepers and um I I got tired of um this idea that I a person who looks like me can only show up in one way out in the world in in literature, whether or in nonfiction like there's no other black person I know who, who wrote a book called Time to Visit Denver. I haven't seen it. Um right. the fact that I have the content that I have coming out about Colorado, because now I'm really focused on that. It's very unique. No, I don't know any other black person doing it. And it's funny the kind of response that I, I'm getting from that content. You would be surprised who will support what you do. And you'll be surprised that for like fiction, the people who will read your book and say, we've been we're really excited to see this story. So at the beginning of this conversation, I talked about Lovecraft Country. I can't, I can't get enough of this show because it is it's a horror horror show, paranormal, like evil and good. And it is so cool. And you know what? It's so cool because I can't even believe that they think black people can have a story like this. And if I'm writing my own books, if I'm self-publishing my own books, I can imagine all the things. So for me, similar to G, like this is, a, it's almost a subversive act, to, for romance to write black women who have a life of love who right. experience joy who who um are in different types of genres within the romance space because it t- who are dark you know like seriously so all of my characters typically have my complexion and and i'm like well i'm really i'm brown and i want books for like all my ladies to be brown. So all of my my romance books, regardless of the trope or genre that I'm writing in, she's always brown. And the reason why is I'm like there's just not enough books that shows brown ladies. Brown? Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. And and it's and it's almost a subversive act to to
0: even Say that this is an issue because I do want to. I do want to see. You know, there have been some books, and when I was growing up, there were some books. It was it, they were known as the African Writers Series, and those people were were African children, you know. But then a lot of books are not like that. And I think you know, if you if you meet a typical African um, who grew up on the African continent, the narrative is that we're not good enough, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the picture that has been painted about us for so long and that's simply not true so to be able to to present that i think on wherever wherever people who have been underrepresented or who whose stories have been mistold i think it is important to write them in a way that it, it does show the, the different facets of us right And, 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 and I think that's what Michelle is also saying. So I love that last, but not
1: least, what is one piece of advice that you would recommend to an aspiring author besides just doing it, Michelle?
2: I think it's really important to have perspective. Um, Sometimes people will look for feedback from the wrong people about the project So, um, your family, like my family, does not read any of my books. They're not the clientele for my books, okay? My mom already lives in Denver. She does not need to read that book. She does not need to read any of my romance books. Oh my God. And I think um, just being clear about who the right people are to give feedback and support um, on your written projects is huge because if you pick the wrong people, that choice could keep you from moving forward. It could really demoralize you. The, the number of people who come to me for my course and, and coaching and what have you, who say, you know, I got this feedback and I'm like, why are we talking to your mom about this? She doesn't care about androids. You know, like this is, does your, is your mom into this thing? So really be very deliberate about who you share your dream, this in general. you share your dreams with your goals whatever because not everyone is in alignment with you not everyone wants you to win with what you're trying to do people will project their fears onto you and with creative works like this that are very heart-centered people can break your heart and hurt you with really negative feedback not because they're mean people but because you're doing something bold that they're afraid to do so be careful 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 of who you reach out to on these projects. And it doesn't mean that they don't necessarily want you to win or do well. It just means that you need to be careful about who you connect with on these things.
0: Excellent advice. G? Yes. So, my piece of advice is not to compare your journey with other authors' journeys. And the reason I say that is that, for instance, what J.K. Rowling is going to define as her level of success may not be your level of success. So define that for yourself. Rather, focus on your journey and focus on getting your book in front of your readers, right? If you consistently do that through a lot of the things that we've talked about today on this podcast, if you consistently market yourself, your books are going to get into the hands of the right people. Those right people are then going to tell other people about you. And that's how your brand is going to grow. But don't in the, especially in the beginning, don't be out here thinking, well, if I didn't sell 50,000 copies or I didn't sell a hundred thousand copies, then I'm a failure. No, focus on your journey.
1: Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, G for coming on today. This was literally an incredible conversation. Partly I was selfish because I just want to hang out with more author friends, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but there was a lot of great information that was shared and I hope it inspires folks to really get their work out there. So I would love to hear how folks can connect with you as well as any writing projects that we should be on the lookout for. So Michelle?
2: Hey, everybody, please do um, follow me at MichelleIsMoneyHungry.com. That is also the name of my podcast, so Michelle is Money Hungry. I do have a number of books that are uh, in development and in the works, and um, just follow me online, follow me on Instagram. Sorry, I just dropped something (laughs) Um, on Instagram. It's Michelle is money hungry as well um, to stay in the loop for those projects. Um, And thank you guys so much for this awesome conversation. Um, I just love what we're doing. You guys are awesome. And I, I'm just so geeked out right now. (laughs)
0: I'll just follow up with mine. So um, yes, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. You can find me, I'm at gnontra. So that's G-E-E-N-O-N. T-E-R-A-H. I'm at Gene on all platforms, Twitter. Um, and I'm most active on Instagram and, and YouTube. Um, however, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, so you can connect with me there. Yeah, and I look forward, you know, when you when you do find me on the on the interwebs, you know, send me a message and let me know you heard me on this podcast, okay? All right.
1: <laughs> We'd love that. I would absolutely love that. And don't forget, all the links that we mentioned today will be in the show notes and more. So head over to podcast.thoughtcard.com for more info information. All right. That is all for now. And I'll talk to you guys again in the next one. Bye.